You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Today's reading is from Exodus 23, verses 20 to 33. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guide you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion, since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites and Jebusites. And I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you, and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornets ahead of you to drive the Hittites, Canaanites, and Hivites out of your way but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Well, hi, DPC. Uh, I've got to say, I really, really wish we could be together in person for me to preach this sermon rather than preaching to this stupid camera on my computer. But anyway, may God uh, still speak to us through his word. I hope we can be together again soon. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that uh, you would speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. Uh, In particular, open our eyes to see the fullness of what you have prepared for us in Christ your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, imagine if Gabby and I were to say to our kids one day, uh, we've got great Great news. Straight after lockdown, we're going on a special trip to Apollo Bay. Uh, We've booked a house there where we've paid for it all, where we're going to drive you all the way there ourselves every step of the way, where we've bought some special snacks and drinks so none of you will get hungry or thirsty along the way. And when we get to Apollo Bay, uh, there'll be a special bed for each of you, a place for you to sleep. And we'll be able to visit the beach and beautiful waterfalls and go for walks in the rainforest and enjoy all sorts of delicious foods and drinks. It really is going to be wonderful. But if you want to fully enjoy this trip, you must pay attention to what we say. If we say, please keep your hands and feet to yourselves, you've got to listen to that. If we say, please be a bit quieter, right, that's really not an inside voice. You've got to listen to that. If we say, stop throwing your food on the floor, you must 
listen to that. Buddy, if you do listen, it's not only going to be a wonderful trip, but Apollo Bay will be glorious. But if you don't listen, well, we might still get to Apollo Bay, but let's be honest, the trip won't be much fun. And if you really don't listen, well, we might not get to Apollo Bay at all. In today's passage, God said some, says something a little bit like that to his people Israel. He says, I've got great news for you. I've prepared this wonderful gift for you, a land full of abundant blessings. But if you want to enter into and enjoy the fullness of what I prepared for you, you've got to pay attention. I pay attention to my gospel exhortations and warnings and promises. I say gospel exhortations, warnings and promises to remind us that the context of this passage is the good news that God has prepared a place for his people. So if they would just pay attention to what he says, they'll enter into and enjoy the full blessings of what he's prepared for them. Or put differently, the exhortations, warnings and promises in this passage are all in the context of God's covenant with his people Israel. And that covenant being the exclusive relationship that God formed with Israel, but beginning with Abraham back in Genesis 12, in which God bound himself to Israel by making particular promises to them. So we've got to read today's passage in the context of that covenant, of Israel being God's special covenant people. In fact, this section of Exodus is known as the Book of the Covenant. So in Exodus 24, verse 7, we read, Then Moses took the Book of the Covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. So in today's passage, as was typical of the covenants of this day, God, the King, exhorts his people to do just that. Right, to obey the terms of their covenant. And then he warns his people of all the curses they'll experience if they disobey the terms of the covenant. And finally, he promises them the full blessings of the covenant if only they would obey the terms of the covenant. So with that kind of covenant framework in mind, blessings and curses, uh, let's first look at the gospel exhortations in this passage. First, in verses 20 and 21, God exhorts his people to listen to him and his messenger. In verse 20, God says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. A see there is literally the word behold, right? So that this isn't just God saying to his people, you know, I'll take a look at this if you want to. No, it's God grabbing hold of his people and saying, look at this, right? Behold this, right? God wants his people to really see that he is sending this angel or perhaps just a messenger ahead of them. And then in verse 21, God says, pay attention to him. And listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. But the Lord exhorts his people, pay attention to my angelic messenger. Listen to him. Obey 
him. But this reminds us that Israel isn't just being called to obey some impersonal set of rules. No, they're being called to obey a particular person. But in this case, the angel of the Lord, their God. So we should be a bit careful about drawing a sharp distinction between rules and relationships. Right? Saying things like, well, Christianity isn't about rules, it's about a relationship. And, of course, Christianity isn't only about rules or even mainly about rules. But there are a lot of rules in Christianity. Well, let's be honest. Commands from God about how he wants us to live as his people. It's just that those rules come in the context of a loving relationship with God, of God's unconditional commitment to us as his people. Just like the rules that Gabby and I might lay down for our kids on a road trip uh, come in the context of our loving relationship with them, right? our unconditional commitment to them as their parents. Right? There's no inherent conflict between loving relationships and rules. But who is this angel of the Lord? that God sends before his people. Some people think it's just another way of speaking about the glorious cloud of God's presence. But this angel's a personal being, right? not just an impersonal manifestation of God's presence. Others think it's just another way of speaking about Moses, right? But because oh, I said before that this word angel could simply mean messenger, and Moses clearly is a messenger from God. But this angel does seem to be someone kind of in addition to Moses. And we're told that this angel will lead God's people into the promised land. And spoiler alert, Moses never actually enters the promised land. So maybe the angel is Joshua. Maybe you remember Joshua. He helped Israel defeat the Amalekites in Exodus 17. In Exodus 24, the next chapter, verse 13, he's spoken of as Moses' assistant. And in Joshua chapter 1, it's Joshua who eventually replaces Moses and leads Israel into the promised land. The case for Joshua could be strengthened by the fact that in verse 21, God says, my name is in this angel. And of course, the name Joshua literally means the Lord, right? Yahweh saves. But this angel doesn't seem to be a mere human being. Maybe he is actually an angel, a supernatural messenger from God, a guardian angel for God's people. Along the lines of Psalm 34 verse 7, which says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. But even that doesn't seem to sufficiently capture how this angel's described. I mean, when God says, my name is in him, we're supposed to remember Exodus chapter 3, where God's name represents his glorious character. But this angel, God saying, will provide his people with a glorious revelation of his presence and character. And notice in verse 22 that God says, if you listen, uh, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say. You see that? To listen to and do what this angel says is to listen to and do what the Lord says. 
Oh, so equally, to resist and rebel against this angel is to resist and rebel against the Lord. And perhaps most incredibly, in verse 21, God says that if Israel does rebel against this angel, the angel will not forgive them. But it implying, isn't it, that this angel actually does have the authority to forgive Israel. And as the teachers of the law say in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, who can forgive sins but God alone? So in some mysterious sense, this angel is described as almost being inseparable from the Lord and yet still distinct from the Lord. We'll come back to the identity of this angel in a bit, right? But for now... I just want you to hear God's exhortation to his people, right? He says to them, listen to me and my messenger. The second exhortation in verses 24 and 25 is to worship and serve the Lord alone. Now take a look at verse 24, right? God says, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices, you must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God. Well, this really is driving home the importance of God's first commandment. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. And we'll see in a bit that when Israel enters the promised land, God's not going to remove the other nations and their gods from the land straight away. He's got good reasons for that. But God knows that that will present a massive temptation for his people. Because the reality is that everyone else in the land is worshipping these other gods. Because they believe that the key to having a blessed and prosperous life is to keep those gods happy. And the only way to keep them happy is to constantly appease them with sacrifices. So these altars and sacrifices were just everywhere throughout the land. Absolutely everyone was doing this. But God says to his people, well, not you. Right? Don't do it. Right? Be different. Be distinct. Be holy. It'll be like God saying to us, hey, well, when you get to the promised land of Victoria, uh, you must not ever use a credit card or a car or, or a phone. But I know everyone else is doing it. Why are you to be different, be distinct, be holy? So as Israel heads towards the land that God's prepared for them, God exhorts them, saying, listen to me and my messenger and worship and serve me alone. And God also gives his people warnings in this passage, doesn't he? Uh, we've touched on verse 21, where God says to his people, do not rebel against uh, him, my messenger, uh, or, sorry, do not rebel against me or my messenger. But God says in verse 21, do not rebel against him, my messenger, he will not forgive your rebellion. Uh, of course, as the story unfolds, Israel does rebel uh, and God does forgive them. In that despite their rebellion, God maintains his covenant commitment to them. Having said that, Israel's sin never goes unpunished. 
In fact, despite God's commitment to his people as a whole, uh, the reality is that, that Moses and nearly this whole generation of God's people do not enter the promised land. Well, the warning's pretty clear, isn't it? Do not rebel against God or his messenger. And the second warning in verses 32 and 33 is that God warns his people to not make a covenant with the nations or their gods. Uh, if you look from verse 32, God says, I do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. I do not let them live in your land, uh, for they will cause you to sin against me, uh, because the worship of their gods will certainly become a snare to you. I've already said that this section of Exodus is all in the context of God's covenant with his people. Right? God had entered into an exclusive relationship with his people, the Israel. He's loyal to them. He's faithful to them. And he expects Israel to have an exclusive relationship with him, right? to be loyal to him, to be faithful to him. So before they enter into the promised land, God warns them not to make any covenants with the people or their gods. Now maybe a helpful way to understand this section is to think about a marriage covenant. Right? A marriage covenant being a formal relationship in which a man and a woman bind themselves exclusively to one another by making public promises. And traditionally, one of those promises, you've heard this before, is forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And now I know there's some changing views on this, but I think still most of us would agree that if a husband or wife makes those sort of exclusive promises to someone else, but then they go and break those promises by sleeping around with another man or woman, I think we'd all mostly agree that their husband or wife would be perfectly justified to be devastated and angry and hungry for justice. Right? Because they rightly expected a complete loyalty and complete faithfulness from the one they had formed a covenant with. Well, God's no different. Right here and throughout the Bible, God shows himself to be a fiercely loyal and loving and faithful husband to his people. So he warns the Israelites here that if they, um, if they are unfaithful to him, right, entering into intimate covenant relationships with the other people in their gods, uh, then there will be consequences. Right, because while in the short term it just might seem easier to just kind of compromise with the people in their gods, right? Yeah, that, that's what it seems like in the short term. But in the long term, uh, those people and gods will be a snare for them, right? A, a spiritual trap for them. Right? Because the reality is, in the end, you become like the god that you worship, right? You become by uh, you become like the god that you love. So if Israel chooses to, to give the love of their hearts to the idols of the nations around them, bit by bit, they will become like the idols of the nations around them. The, the idols who are deaf and blind and dumb. And so in particular, Israel become deaf and blind to their loving and faithful Lord. 
See, I'm sure it sometimes seems easier to just go with the flow of the people around you. Or maybe to enter into kind of slightly compromising relationships or practices, and you kind of think to yourself, well, it's no big deal, right? I can handle this. But sooner or later, you realize that all those little compromises that you've made have become one big snare for you, a spiritual trap causing you to drift away from God, to flirt, or let's be honest, even to full-on sleep around with the idols of this world. But rather than remaining faithful to your loving and faithful Lord. We've seen two gospel exhortations and two gospel warnings. And now we come to five gospel promises. First, in verses 20 and 23, God promises to go ahead of his people. In verse 20, God says, See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you right, to guard you along the way, uh, to guard you along the way, that's right, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. And then in verse 23, God says, My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hevites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Right, but by the presence of his glorious angel, God will be with his people every step of the way, guarding them, guiding them, protecting them. God will not leave his people alone to fend for themselves. He won't lag behind his people, giving them a frustrated shove every now and then. And he won't be so far ahead of his people that they can't see him and follow him. My God promises to go ahead of his people and to guide them every step of the way. Secondly, in verse 22, God promises the blessings of the covenant. He says to his people, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. But it's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. When God said to Abraham, you might remember, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. You see, if Israel would just listen to and trust and obey the Lord and his messenger, God promises that he'll do all the work of conquering the land. But anyone who curses Israel will be cursed by God. Anyone who opposes Israel will be opposed by God. And anyone who becomes an enemy of Israel will become an enemy of their God. The battle belongs to the Lord. A third, in verses 25 and 26, God promises fullness of life. He says, worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry, I will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. These verses give us just a glimpse of what it might look like to be God's people in God's place, experiencing the full blessings of his presence. 
But God's blessing, we see here, will be upon Israel's food and water so that no one will be hungry or thirsty. His blessing will be upon Israel's health so, so that no one will be sick. And in fact, God's blessing will be upon life itself. By the Israel will have no issues bringing life into the world. There'll be no miscarriages, no fertility problems of any kind, and no issues living a full and long life. Everyone will have a full lifespan. Right? God promises fullness of life. And fourth, in verses 27 to 30, God promises to confuse and terrify the nations and drive them out bit by bit. Right? Take a look from verse 27. God says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send my I will send the hornet ahead of you to uh, drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of the way. Uh, but I will not drive them out in a single year, but because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you. But God promises to send his glorious angel before the Israelites into the land. And at the sight of his presence, the people of the land will be absolutely terrified. Right? In fact, God says they'll be so afraid that it's like their, their fight-flight response will kick in. Right? Almost like a panic attack. Right? And if you've experienced a panic attack, panic attack right? like, well, like I have, you'll know that it's really hard to think clearly. Right, so it's no surprise that in the midst of their terror, God says the people of the land will be filled with confusion. You see, God also compares his angel to a hornet going ahead of the Israelites. Right, So the people will be panicking. Like you've probably seen someone panic when they're being chased after by a, by a buzzing wasp or bee. And the point of these images is that it's really not that hard for God to conquer the enemies of his people. All these people have to do is humbly trust in him and bit by bit, little by little, he'll drive out the nation so that they can enjoy the fullness of what he's prepared for. And notice that God will drive the nations out little by little because he knows that when Israel enters the land, that they just won't be numerous enough to kind of take full possession of it. And so if they have the whole land, then the land's going to become desolate and overrun by wild animals and basically useless to them. And so God promises to drive the nations out bit by bit, which leads to the fifth promise. Which is, which is that God will enable his people to take possession of all that he has prepared for them. From the end of verse 30, God says, I will drive out the nations little by little uh, until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hand the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. But God will enable his people to take possession of the full land that he's prepared for them. 
but as marked out by the borders in these verses. And notice that they'll take possession of that land both as God drives the nations out, right? that the conquering of the land is God's work. It's God who judges the peoples of the land for their sin. But they'll also take possession of the land as they drive the nations out. Right? They will actively participate in God's work. If Israel wants to enter into and enjoy the fullness of what God has prepared for them in the promised land, they have to pay attention to the gospel exhortations and warnings and promises that come from the angel of the Lord. But as we read this passage, right, as Christians, it should lead us to, to think about our promised land. Whether the ultimate place that God has prepared for us. And we should each ask ourselves, well, how can we get to that promised land? And of course, the answer to that question is that the angel of the Lord will get us there. As I was talking about the identity of that angel of the Lord, I wonder if you even thought to yourself, gee, you know, that actually sounds a little bit like Jesus, right? A kind of divine being that, that is kind of almost inseparable from the Lord, but, but somehow still distinct from the Lord, right? And this angel of the Lord could very well be Jesus, right? A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, the, the eternal son of God, right? But, but whether this angel of the Lord is Jesus or not, this angel certainly points us to Jesus. In John chapter 14, for example, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says in John 14 verse 2, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, why would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that by his life and death and resurrection, he's prepared a place for us, for you, in his father's house. His father's house, but being a picture, really, of our promised land. Right, the new heavens and new earth where, where God's people will dwell in God's place, experiencing the blessing of God's glorious presence. But how do we know the way to this wonderful place that Christ has prepared for us? Well, continuing in John 14, Jesus says, well, you, you know the way to the place that I'm going. But Thomas says, what do you mean, Lord? Well, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus says that those more famous words, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Christ doesn't just point us to the way. He doesn't just guide us along the way. Right? Christ himself is the way. By his life, death and resurrection, Christ has become the only way for people like us to enter into the Father's presence, to become children of God in the Father's house, in the glorious place that Christ has prepared for us. 
Oh, because we, as we heard last week, it's through Christ's death on the cross that, that Christ bore the full curse of our sins that we deserve for, for all our unfaithfulness to God's covenant. And so that by faith in Christ, well, we can enjoy the full blessings that we don't deserve. It's grace because of all Christ's faithfulness to God's covenant. You see, Christ is the ultimate angel of the Lord. Right? Christ is the one who will get us to our great promised land. Which is why when Jesus is gloriously transfigured on that mountain, uh, the voice of his Father from heaven has said, This is my Son. What? Listen to him. It sounds like Exodus 23, doesn't it? Just as Israel had to pay attention to the words of the angel of the Lord, God's saying, You must pay attention to the words of Jesus his son. Because it's by paying attention to Jesus, it's by trusting Jesus and obeying Jesus and fixing your eyes on Jesus, uh, that one day we'll be able to enter into and enjoy the fullness of what God has prepared for us in Jesus. A new heavens and new earth. A place, a glorious place, where there'll be no sickness or suffering or sin, certainly no COVID, no lockdown. Just abundant life and peace and joy and freedom. Our brothers and sisters, if we want to enter into and enjoy the fullness of what God has prepared for us in Christ, we must pay attention to Christ's exhortations and warnings and promises. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have prepared for us in Christ your Son, a glorious new heavens and new earth. And we pray that as we journey towards what all that you prepared for us, that you would help us to listen to Christ your Son, paying attention to his encouragements, his exhortations, his warnings, his promises, that we might one day enter into and enjoy the fullness of what you have prepared for us in him. In his name we pray. Amen.